This episode of the Media Leader podcast was edited by our production partner, Trisonic. And if you're looking for podcast production support, we highly recommend them. Find them at trisonic.co.uk. It is a tough market. And I think that all points to the fact that companies, no doubt, whether it's consultancy or full-time, they're evaluating way more carefully, you know, every pound they're spending on their business. So this all sort of ties together for us is like, yes, consultancy might be an easier step for them rather than hiring. Hello and welcome to the Media Leader podcast. I'm Ella Sagar and today I'm delighted to be joined by Rachel Ford and Marco Bitozzi, co-founders of the Zoo London Consultants Collective, to talk about founding a company, the state of the media market and the talent uh, crisis and senior talent, to name a few uh, topics. Rachel, Marco, thanks so much for joining me. Hi, nice to be here, Ella. Hi. Uh, so before starting the Zoo London, you both met at Publicis at Zenith specifically, I believe. Um, yeah. Yes, a long, a long yeah, time ago. To be a fly on that wall. Um, since then, you've both worn uh, different hats, but most recently, Marco, you've led sales at Waylar and Spotify, and Rachel, you are UM UK and Ireland CEO. Um, my first question is, how did you both first get interested in or hear about media as a career? I think that's quite a good place to start. God, that you're all going back a long way now, Ella. <laughs> I hope you realise yeah. that. I can start. Mine's easy and it's very much in the sort of old school um, that my brother was actually, uh, he was head of sales at uh, one of the newspaper publishers express newspapers i think back then and and then eventually excite and he recommended that i should go into agency and um he popped a little uh, introduction into andy tilly who i wrote to incessantly uh in fact i faxed incessantly in the, the good old days uh, to try and get an interview which uh, luckily i did and and that was the start zenith media i don't know 96 God, that's, yeah. Well, that's not. I was a similar, similar time. And I had a friend that worked actually at Zenith, and I'd just come back from traveling. I'd worked in a publishing company in Sydney, so I'd kind of got my taste of media. And I thought, you know, let's give it a go. And myself, my husband moved down from Manchester. We said, look, let's give it two years. And then, oh God, 27 years later, we're, we're still here, but still loving it. So media got its hooks into both of you then, I guess. Yeah, and Absolutely. And from then until now, you've started the Zoo London. So can you tell me a bit more about what the Zoo London's about and what you're kind of setting out to achieve with that? The Zoo London started from, actually started from quite a human uh, element, which was just seeing how much amazing senior talent was out in the market uh, who were working independently in some shape or form. And there's lots of reasons why they were there. But I started to look at that. And first of all, having been a consultant myself, I felt like I, I know it can be a bit of a lonely place and a bit of a slog, especially when you've got the pressures of families and, and all that stuff. So I thought, well, wouldn't it be great if we could bring all of that talent together in some shape or form? First of all, from a community aspect, uh, to give people uh, somewhere else other than their sort of front bedroom or wherever they were working from. And then it kind of evolved into uh, thinking more from, the, I guess, the client side, where you realise actually how many of these people are brilliant at what they do, but they don't necessarily like to do the song and dance on LinkedIn and all of those that, that aspect of things. Either they don't want to or they're not, good, they're not good at it or they don't want to confuse the marketplace as to what they're doing. So 
uh, that's when we felt like uh, that's where the opportunity came to combine go to companies and shine a light on all of this talent that they might not otherwise know exists and then i guess we've progressed a little bit where you know we're really focused on how we celebrate and elevate independent consultancy in mm-hmm. general i i suppose you don't think about it as a, as a lonely as, but you go from being maybe in a full-time kind of in a team to then being on your own that's something I hadn't considered fully. Rachel, we, did you have yeah, something you do to hear, Yeah, you do hear that a lot from, from the consultants. And I suppose with so many ideas for businesses, it came from my personal experience because I'd come out of a big corporate role. Um, I was taking six months out to support my daughter through her A-levels, kind of bookend her life. I, I, I looked after her for the first six months of her life and then outsourced her childcare. And I thought, I want to do six months before she flies the nest um, and I really wanted to deliver on that. But in all honesty, I thought I would come back into a big corporate role in the summertime and then, you know, see where things went from that. But actually, once I had the benefit of coming out of, I suppose, that big role and then thinking, well, I would like to do some projects if I can whilst I'm looking for that full-time role, but where would you start? So that's when I started to talk to Marco about it, that, look, it would be really interesting, but where would you even start? And actually, it was Marco that connected me with a, um, an ad tech company based in the States, which were um, launching in the UK, and I went in to do some, some consultancy with them and actually loved it. And I said, oh, my God, this would be amazing if this is a sustainable career for people, but really who's shining a light on this and and where do you start apart from putting open for projects on LinkedIn which when you've been a senior person that's kind of out of your comfort zone so it really felt like there was a massive gap not only on the side of the consultants but then as Marco said how do businesses manage to tap into this senior resource and that's really where the zoo uh, London was born Mm -hmm. and I guess it's been a while since you guys started up the company and how's it been going what's the how are you kind of measuring your kind of success is it the number of consultants you kind bring in or what's the what's it look like I think we had to take a breath at six months in and say wow gosh it's been a real a real amazing journey and I think the response from the market has been just so positive because I think everybody recognized that gap and I think everybody thought why is no nobody done this before and so of course you know at the beginning it was about building up a very senior collective of experts um really kind of kind of like bringing together the best of the best so at the beginning it was around about um consultants we've got about it's over 400 now isn't it Marco yeah uh, senior yeah. experts that we have um but then that's kind of we we spent the summer building that up and then in the um you know when we really kind of started to really move on our comms it was really about driving awareness so for a lot of investment into to marketing into events into um social media we obviously measure numbers of you know followers interactions website visits etc but really the big part of the business is around consideration we talked about how how we can shine a spotlight on independent consulting and actually springboard those conversations where a senior expert would be very valuable in a business. So for every coffee, we're driving consideration and then obviously down to to projects um, at the other end. And I'd say really for us, Marco, the litmus test was the amount of leads that we've had or 
projects that have come in directly. So not just through a, a coffee, but actually somebody's recommended us or somebody's linked us in. And it's very much been a, lot, a strong word of mouth um, has generated that. And so I suppose for us, six months in, we really judge success on the amount of direct links and then repeat business. Mm-hmm. So I'd say that was a, a, a big one. But then we do take our service and what we're providing um, incredibly seriously and about providing that first-class service, not only to the consultants and finding them the projects, but of course to the businesses, making sure that that's the exact match that they need for their um, project, that it runs smoothly, that it's professionalized, it's standardized. So actually our biggest measurement is actually customer satisfaction. I mean, I call it our five-star Uber rating, but it's very important that we evaluate on both sides. We want every single experience to be positive and five stars on both the consultant side and um, and the business side. So really that is our, I'd say, where we get our, our, our great value of our success in the in the delivery and the and the and the just the good experience that people are having when they deal with us. And obviously if they come back then you know we know we're doing something <laughs> right, which has been the case in most of the clients who have, you know, when they have had another another opportunity or something else they're looking for, they've, they've come back to us. So um, I think those two things, the business being coming inbound um, and then existing clients coming back to us sort of make us feel like we're definitely going up in the right mm-hmm. direction. Yeah, and so you guys were talking about how the six months, the first six months has been really busy. Has anything surprised you in that time? I mean, Rachel, you talk about the reception from the market, but have you been surprised by like the types of projects that you've got coming in or the types of people that are saying hey I want to join your collective or is anything kind of stood out to you both yeah I mean maybe I mean there's a couple of things the first is the kind of international aspect of you know we we very much had um, or have an ambition to grow internationally but for the first year let's say we were very focused on UK and and yet we did start getting briefs in from the US which you know was was really pleasing and and I think more not just briefs coming in from the US but just a general interest from both sides of the marketplace so consultants as well as clients from all over Europe and um, and the US so that was really hugely encouraging for us in terms of thinking about where we could go next I guess the other thing in terms of the makeup of the collective I don't know if it's a surprise but we're really really pleased that we have got such an amazing group of uh, marketeers so uh you know senior clients cmo levels vps of marketing marketing directors and so on from all the major verticals in the industry it's just that's been really really brilliant for us because actually marketeers are quite they're very versatile in how they can work and the sort of projects they can work on and they're highly in demand as they always are so uh that's been a fantastic aspect to the you know to what makes up the collective mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think is that, you know, marketers like like lots of people, are, you know, at that kind of level where you've been working for 20, 25 years. And I think the pandemic and lockdown had quite a big effect on, well, Gen, they say Gen X and millennials were the ones where lockdown actually did had a big reevaluation on life. So I think actually we knew there was a big market out there in terms of the, the consultants, but actually people really choosing that as a as a full-time career yes um there's some been some involuntary movement from the marketplace i'm sure we'll get onto that a little bit later on but also voluntary where 
senior experts are trying to find a different way to work and a different way to design their work-life balance and actually work on interesting projects. So the marketeers were a slight surprise. I don't know why, because actually fractional CMOs are becoming now a lot more commonplace. So fractional has been a been very prevalent in in finance and law. Um, it's now, I'd say, over the past kind of 12 to 18 months has become a lot more um, commonplace in, in marketing and, as I say, the rise of the fractional CMO. Mm-hmm. And actually, again, people at very different ends of their consultant journey. Some people that may have been established and have been doing this and working this way for a couple of years, where other people at the very other end where they're actually looking for a full-time role, but out of those full-time roles aren't even in the market at the moment, or they don't want to rush into the wrong job so actually to do some fractional work in the meantime to kind of keep your mind going and also you know to kind of pay your bills because the bills and the mortgages don't go away it gives a little bit of a stock gap and a re-evaluation for um a lot of people within advertising and, and marketing so it's quite nice that we've got a real spread across consultants established consultants and then those that will go back into a full-time role it's kind of a say about even split mm. Yeah, the only thing I'd add to that is when people talk about the fractional, one of the things that I've discussed with clients is people talk about fractional CMOs as one example. And I think they think that means, oh, you just get a CMO who uh, it's going to work for two days a week or three days a week. And that's why it's fractional. But what's interesting is the feedback from talking to definitely slightly smaller brands and companies is that the role of the CMO is very, very broad, right? So if you're a CMO of Coke, it's incredibly broad and you've got lots of experts that support that. If you're a smaller company, sometimes it's like, well, actually, we want to spend two months just focused on how we make the most of our CRM system and really make it fit for marketing and how marketing and the CRM works together, whereas the next two months might be about brand positioning and and go to market. So and they're different skills. So actually being able to go to someone and, and, and work with them on parts of what would come under the CMO umbrella, it gives people the ability to do a brilliant job of the different elements of marketing, as opposed to a sort of generalist, if you like, that, that would sort of try and touch a bit of everything. So I think fractional work sort of vertically and horizontally. Yeah, I wonder if fractional like a new kind of flexible it's something that I actually hadn't heard of before as a fractional role I didn't really know what that uh that meant but I wondered if it's it does tie in with what you were saying Marco the generalists and the specialists which you obviously have conversations in agencies about that but I suppose as a CMO you sort of have to know a bit about everything yeah but you have the uh, and that's the nature you know that's how marketing works in it normally though with a a senior CMO, they also have lots of specialists working for them. But if you're, you know, if you're a, maybe a smaller business, the CMO, you're trying to get them to be a, a, a sort of jack of all trades. And actually with consultancy, what it allows them to do is go, no, I'm going to get a specialist for a period of time and then a specialist mm-hmm. for a period of time and do different things. So that's, you know, that's the beauty really of how consultancy mm-hmm. can work. So they kind of, they can tap into it as and when they need it, depending, and I suppose every yes. company will have a different growth journey and need different things at different stages. 100%. Um, yeah. yeah. And uh, so this kind of, I guess we were talking about like, you know, the consultants and they're also at different stages, whether they're like starting out or whether they've been doing it for a while or they're kind of looking, doing 
things while they're looking for other things. But is that a kind of do you have you tackled any of those misconceptions about consultancy? We've talked about how it can be quite a lonely place, but there are also, you know, there's the flexibility and the kind of the, the deep knowledge base. Um, yeah. yeah. Is that something that comes up in conversation a lot? It's I think longer the days that consultancy is, is something to do in between jobs. I mean, those consultants that work in this space, it's a really super smart way to work because you can actually focus on the projects that you enjoy doing you don't have the politics if you do of a, of a full-time role you can go in get the job done come out again there's a huge amount of satisfaction in that um in, in that space and I suppose you know when Marco was speaking at the beginning we see our role at the zoo in London to really elevate independent consultancy as actually as I say a super smart way to operate and to work and to really shine a light on it and, and standardize and professionalize it so it's a it's a really important um talent pool to be able to tap into because we just talked about you know people working fractionally or people with deep specialisms going in it's not that companies don't really value and need this expertise and seniority it's just that they choose not to pay for it on a full-time basis so it's a real will win win on both sides of the marketplace for the for the consultants themselves. I would say they get to choose what they work on, interesting projects without the politics. And for businesses, they get to tap into this talent and specialism and expertise as and when they need it. And I think that's in the current marketplace that we're in. We understand that you know businesses still have you know the same goals, the same challenges. There has been a senior senior brain drain, shall we say? where companies really value that expertise but just want to tap in as and when they need it and that's what we provide in the middle of the zoo london we'll we'll evaluate the market we'll come back with a with a group of consultants and we'll kind of map that out for them rather than it being i suppose in the past it might have been like uh, who you know versus what you know whereas we do that perfect matchmaking in the middle mm-hmm. yeah that uh it does seem like there's so many different challenges that companies have to navigate and I know we've kind of touched on a few different bits obviously the pandemic was a massive thing that I think people and companies are still recovering from but it it is it does seem like quite a tough market right now lots of job cuts lots of uncertainty um and lots of kind of budgets not growing or or at least it might if you're lucky kind of stay be flat year on year has that how has that impacted you guys on on your side of things and maybe what people are looking for or how you're kind of approaching that well i mean one thing i'd say it really ties back to what rachel was saying about how, how the role of the consultant is answering to challenges because i think it's really important now from what we've seen happen where consultants have gone into businesses and from discussing with our clients as well is that the role of the consultant yeah it used to be in the past it was a bit like oh we've got to got something that needs fixing or, you know, we'll just get someone in and and do it. And a a little bit of maybe who you knew rather than finding that exact expert. I think now, because the the role of consultants is adding a lot of other things to that equation. So if they're going into businesses, they're they're doing some sort of, you know, it's almost like they're mentoring a little bit for more junior members of the team, you know, not as a, not as a part of their brief, but just by definition, when they're in the office and they're talking to teams, you know, that seniority and experience kind of rubs off on teams. So they're mentoring a little bit They're, you know, they're, they're supporting the team and, and the people hiring these consultants, you know, it's good for them because they're showing that they're investing a little bit in their team and trying to help them out. So 
the the it is a tough market and i think that all points to the fact that you know companies they are if no doubt whether it's consultancy or full-time they're evaluating way more carefully you know every pound they're spending on uh, on their business so this all sort of ties together for us is like yes you know consultancy might be uh, an easier step for them rather than hiring because obviously you know it comes with that without that commitment but at the same time i think finding the right consultant is more important than ever because it is that person is going to play a sort of dual role uh, in when they come into the business so uh, i think like for us what we're trying to do is say to people look we we know that every pound counts and that things are tight but coming through uh, our model allows people to first of all see a range of people that exactly match their talent and you know have the option to to refresh that talent or change that talent over time as well they're not they're not committed to one person um so i think like that's where we're trying to probably navigate this tougher market is um create opportunities make some really interesting chances for consultants like yeah there are a lot of people that are now as we said right at the top that are on the marketplace and they're working independently and there are good days and bad days we talk to all of them there are good days and bad days and we're just trying to create more good days if you like with with what we're doing as a business and uh but if you're the client we're sort of hoping to reassure them that yeah okay if you're going to spend that money you, you're going to be spending it well mm-hmm. I, I i do find it interesting that um yeah i suppose you could get the different different consultants for different different aspects and um that maybe you can kind of cycle that in and out as you needed it and actually it might be better to do that than try and put all of your eggs in one basket with hiring it does seem like uh, a lot of people I think Rachel you were talking about a senior brain drain in the industry and Mark I know that you've written a piece for us recently about five reasons you're wrong to write off older people in media but I was wondering in terms of like launching the business what are the Kind of the biggest lessons that you guys learned what the, what advice would you give to people to f- want to be founders god i don't know i'm not sure we're, we're, we're quite able to to really give anybody too much advice at the moment i kind of like six seven months in i think what we try to remain is our, our feet on the ground and we're, we're we're still learning as well and i think the big thing for us is that we had a vision from the business for the beginning which was to, to you know to connect senior experts with businesses that have challenges and need that kind of support to help boost a particular part of their business and that was very clear at the beginning but we have listened as we've gone on I think it's just that really important thing that okay have a vision stick with it but then to be agile and adapt to the market so we we've created a few kind of I suppose you'd call them products um, coming out of the zoo so rather than hiring one consultant for five days how about getting five senior expert around the table for one day so actually then you can crowdsource a bit more of of expertise and um we kind of talk about it being um you know it's great to learn through mistakes how about you can learn through other people's mistakes so it's all about trying to be fast and agile and fast feedback and you know moving on um and it's all about performance so i think we've listened and we've adapted i think for myself personally you know it came from just finding myself in this market and speaking to Marco. And I never would have, you know, I never would have done this on my own. I've got to say, having a partner and a co-founder 
to do things with together because I think as all founders will say the highs are highs and the lows are lows and I think it's really important that you know not only can consultancy be lonely but actually when you've come out of big organizations with with big teams you know it's all the you know all the positives have been able to make big decisions and quick decisions and and kind of working for yourself obviously there's all the downsides of having not you know not the same level of security not the same level of, of team and I think it's really important that Marco and I have really been able to share that load um share the thinking I think we complement each other well I think you want to have diverse you know and as we grow and scale we'll we'll lot to bring more um kind of diverse talent into our own business so I think we complement each other well um but I think yeah we certainly wouldn't be arrogant enough to say we could really give that too much advice um <laughs> right now but yeah I would my biggest advice was I don't do it alone have a have a partner to do it with mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good advice. Um, Mark, did, would you, yeah. Very good advice. I can second, I can second all of that. <laughs> um, and I suppose for someone who's thinking about maybe maybe not starting a business, but going into consultancy, what would you say, what would you say to them becoming a consultant? What's your experience been like? It's interesting. You know, there, there are, I would say that there's still, consultancy comes with a, with a certain momentum. What, what I've noticed with people that are in, our collective is they they definitely create momentum so they do some work and they do some more and they do some more and then they get introduced and something else happens and that and and so i think there's a little bit of at the start not everyone is sure they're going to do it i think it's fair to say that some people you know start doing something and then they actually get a taste for it and it grows from there so um i think you know, often when we talk to people at the beginning of their consultancy journey, they're probably not even sure they're on the beginning of their consultancy journey, but then you see them a year later and they're like, I love this. So, you know, everyone is uh, at a different point. But I think for me, I, I'm like, when I talk to people, the biggest thing that everyone has to deal with is that we worry about lots of different things, right? As as professionals, if anyone who's been in senior roles high-profile roles in uh, big companies, when they come out of that, there are things you worry about that you just probably shouldn't worry about. And, and it's always my sort of first piece of advice to, to people in that situation. It's like, you know, don't worry what people think. Don't worry whether, you know, a piece of consultancy work is equal to the job you had before. Don't, you know, don't fuss about those sorts of things. Don't worry about confusing the marketplace. If you, for instance, some people do want to get full-time roles still and they worry that if they post about consultancy, that will confuse people and they'll go, oh, they don't want a full-time role. You know, I'm not a believer. I, I firmly believe that if someone wants to hire you, they'll they'll come and hire, you know, they'll get in touch. So it's like, if you want to do consultancy and you want business, I think people aren't often clear enough about, what, what, what they're expecting from LinkedIn. You know, a lot of people will, will talk about their reflections on their walk that morning, you know, for five paragraphs, but they won't actually say I'm available for work and I'd like to, you know, they won't tell people about actually what they're good at. So I, for me, it's like, don't forget to say, it's like when you go into sales from agency and agencies, they always tell you not to sell. And then even though we, we always were selling, but they always tell you not to sell. And then when you go into sales, everyone's like, no, you've got, you've got to ask for the money. And it's a bit like that being a consultant. It's like, don't forget, 
to say you're available and this is what you're good at and this is what you want. So I think that's one thing. And the last thing from me on that is, uh, and we all know it, there, there is a stark difference between how people are presenting themselves on LinkedIn and often what the reality is. So I always sort of say to people, don't like get into a dark place where it looks like everyone around you is like the most successful consultant or they just got another promotion or they've never been happier at work, et cetera, et cetera. I always sort of say to them, just, you know, take it all with a pinch of salt and don't let it, you know, er erode your own confidence because a lot of it, you know, people are putting a lot of gloss on things. So uh, they're the things I always sort of encourage people. I think it's very much about what's in the head. It's rarely about talent or ability or, you know, it's, it's about what people are worrying about and, and their perception of how they're, you know, what people perceive. Mm, it's a mindset, a mindset thing. And yeah. I, I do think, yeah, LinkedIn is a, is a funny place sometimes. Um, <laughs> and I, I know what you mean when it seems like, you know, there's lots of people doing lots of different things all the time, but you only have control over what you are doing and what you're thinking, I guess. So yeah. uh, that's, that's quite an important thing to bear in mind. And actually, actually when we, um, again, in terms of the, the Zoom London, we have our menagerie, which is our online, uh, well, virtual network. We do we do re meet up in, in real life as well. But first and foremost, it is a community to um, to support each other, really, and to kind of like, no, you're not on your own. You know, actually, this is a this is there's a huge amount of people are doing this. As I say, across in terms of the menagerie itself, we talked about the marketeers in there. We've obviously got agency folk from media content. PR, comms, anything that you can imagine in the agency bucket. The third bucket is really then ad tech, platform businesses, publisher businesses, media owners. And then the fourth bucket is really what we call L&D, so business coaching, leadership training, etc. But it's actually quite nice that everything on site, so externally, everything is um, anonymous. We thought it was very important. It's about skill sets, not profile. But actually in the collective itself and within the menagerie, people introduce themselves and that's just quite interesting on a human on a very basic human level to say oh that's interesting and oh you've been and you know they can dm each other on the platform etc so i think it's just a, it's nice to see other people doing similar things um and, and and supporting each other really so i think that's a like a very human level is something that we're really proud of mm -hmm. helps combat that um isolation but also that everyone's doing better than yeah. me or more than me or yeah. that sort of thing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, I was going to circle back to your piece, uh, Marco, about um, five reasons you're wrong to write off older people in media. I, I suppose, do you think media needs to change the way it looks at senior talent? I mean, uh, I'm going to say yes. Uh, I think, I think it's, it, it, it's complex because there's uh, a number of kind of macro factors all happening at once uh, that are affecting this um, to that that sort of group of people I think you know look we're, I think we just have to remind ourselves that you know, there's all these mentoring schemes all over the industry and the, those mentoring schemes are based on people with experience helping other people so if we think these people are you know there's there's, there's value in mentorship uh, generally then there should be value in the people doing that mentorship and I, and, and I think Obviously, cost factors come into it for businesses, et cetera, et cetera, that, you know, are going to make it have an impact on this group. But, you know, we're, we're kind of like our view on this is, you know, when it comes to the specific, specifics of a business, 
I'm always surprised that there's no, there's, it, it's always very black and white. You know, you get to a certain point in your career, perhaps you, let's just say, perhaps you're too expensive for the business at that point, And then it's kind of, you know, then they do the cuts, et cetera. I think there's opportunity for way more consultative approach to, to companies' own staff, right? So come, you know, go to someone and say, they, they might be open to doing two days a week, you know, or three days a week instead of nothing. Mm. Right. And and then actually it's a win win because you're you know, you're cutting back on cost, but you're keeping that experience in the business that can help other teams. So I, I think there needs to be a bit more creativity around how to how to hold on to experience in businesses. And I think the you know, the diversity of it, diversity of thought is uh, I can't remember all the stats, but you know, there's there's a huge amount of wealth sat with let's say the over 45s, the over 50s in the outside world. And so making sure there are people in the business that understand that group, just as we need young people in the business to understand, you know, the, the up and coming generations, I think that that balance is, is really mm-hmm. important. Mm-hmm. Completely. I wanted to also ask you guys about, um, you know, the name of your company, The Zoo London, is based on an animal psychology test, I read. Have you both done this animal psychology test? And what? And do you know which animal you are and what, what it says about your personalities? Yeah, well, I'm a oh, Labrador. <laughs> and I think that's that doesn't come as a surprise to, to many people. I think I was an otter. I think there's a lot of otters in the world. Um, and for some reason, people have a problem with that. But I don't know. I, I think they're, they're quite... Why they're do good people have problems with otters? Environment and, <laughs> I don't know. That's what I say. But they... they Good for the environment as well. So I thought I thought yeah, it was a win-win. Cool. But yeah, I mean that was you know that was uh, a, a kind of stream of consciousness between the zoo coming about because obviously we were talking about a whole collection of different people and traits and and you know zoos would be a bit boring if there was only one animal in it, right? So you know it's more powerful to have all these different skill sets. We're very broad by nature. That's what we set out to do. And uh, yeah, the animal psychology test play back to something I did in a coaching thing at a previous company that sort of sparked the idea. Um, so yeah, it's, you know, we, I think the the main point of all of that was when we launched, we purposely, I think we wanted to make a bit of a statement. We didn't want to be another boring consultancy name. We didn't want to be, you know, under the radar, we, you know, everything we've done uh, has been about visibility. And, and I, and we think that if we're visible and we're talking about, consultancy in a really positive way and and you know shaping how we we think that looks then hopefully that you know gives a bit of encouragement to those people who are considering doing it or or those that already are doing it etc so that's yeah that's sort of you know what underpins all Mm -hmm. of that really Mm -hmm. i i do quite like the that the 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 kind of visuals of it if everyone kind of knows roughly like what what animals they're dealing with but it does make sense as well as a collective that everyone's a bit everyone's different as yeah. as well I think I've got a uh, one last question for you both that we ask everyone on the podcast since at the media leader we are passionate about media we'd like to know why everyone else is passionate about media um Rachel should I start with you why are you passionate yeah. about media I've got to be honest you know going back to that well never 27 odd years I don't think my passion for media has has ever gone away I think every day is different and there's always so much pace of change etc but I think why I love working in media is is that whole it's well the people that we work with the fact that 
media really influences culture and you know we really can be a force for good i mean people listen to brands and advertisers more than they do the police and politicians i mean you can understand why but we really do have a big responsibility um and we have that ability to as i say not only drive culture but actually drive you know to be a force for good so um long may that continue um and yet i will always remain passionate about media marco i think i covered it from a, a sort of practical so i i I work with speakers for schools and I speak in schools. And one of the bits I always, one of the questions I always ask them is why is advertising important? Like why, why should they care about it? Why should they, you know, not block it, frankly. And, you know, they always come up with the right sort of answers around branding and it can change people's mindsets and, and all of that, which is always correct. But the one thing that people never get is that the, the advertising creates so much amazing content for free, basically that we all take, 100% for granted, whether it's everything from as mundane as email through to, you know, music with Spotify and, and content with, with the TV stations and so on and so forth and news. And, you know, it's incredible what, what advertising is effectively allowing people to enjoy day to day without, you know, without even thinking about it. So I think, you know, it makes me think that as an advertising industry, we have to do a much better job of marketing ourselves. That That is based on how these kids always answer, we definitely are doing a bad job of it. Um, but yeah, from a personal perspective, I just, I, I, I think we sometimes underplay uh, the amount of value that advertising brings mm. to the world. Mm. I think those are two very good answers. Um, uh, and I'll have to leave it there for now, but thank you both for joining me. Um, and hopefully we'll get you back again. Thank you, Ella. <laughs> thank you, Ella. Thank you for listening to the Media Leader Podcast. This episode was edited by our production partners, Trisonic. You can find and listen to all our episodes on our website at themedialeader.co.uk or wherever you get your podcasts. But just remember, please do subscribe to be notified when we release our next episode. From all of us at The Media Leader, I'm editor Omar Oaks. Our executive producer is Jack Benjamin. See you next time.